Welcome to Unrequited Lovecraft, a dissection of the proverbial dead horse that is H.P. Lovecraft. I'm Jay. And I'm Banyan. We're here, like so many before us and so many after us, to talk about the stories of H.P. Lovecraft. Now, this is our introductory episode where we're just going to be briefly touching on what we're doing. We're going to rely a little bit more heavily on our notes than we otherwise would. Uh, going forward, we're hoping to be a lot more loosey-goosey, but we just want to make sure we hit our main points for this sort of brief introduction. Today is March 15th, 2022, the 85th anniversary of Lovecraft's death. We've had 85 years of growing Lovecraft admiration, fandom, and inspiration that spirals out Uzumaki style, touching every form of media available to us. We have also had 85 years of criticism, scholarship, and debates about his actual craft, his persona, his presence in various speculative fiction pantheons, and whether he should be the it boy of speculative fiction considering his virulent racism. Thankfully, however, we've also had 85 years of critical reimaginings, retellings, and rebukes. We now have an ever-evolving group of creators, more diverse than ever, doing more with Lovecraft's creation than anyone could have imagined, and in some beautiful cases, giving him the finger in the process. So it's been 85 years since Lovecraft refused to pass into obscurity, but it's March 15th, so you know what that means. It's the Ides of March, and Lovecraft has a few debts to settle. Get your knives. I was going to slam my desk, but I'm like, no, my cat's sleeping. Yeah. Thank I'll you. add one in. <laughs> add the desk slam in post. I just realized something. What's Do you that? think they probably pronounce it Ides? Probably, right? I don't, yeah, that I never don't, occurred to me. I don't know my ancient Greek? No, Rome. Ancient. Latin. Latin, thank you. My ancient Roman. <laughs> Not up on my Cyrillic A. Um, to start, we can start with like a very brief biography of H.P. Lovecraft. Howard Phillips Lovecraft was an influential weird fiction writer at the turn of the last century. He was born on August 20th, 1890 in Providence, Rhode Island to Winfield Scott Lovecraft and Sarah Susan Phillips Lovecraft. His father was a traveling salesman, but was later committed to a mental institution when Howard was a child. So Howard was primarily raised by his mother and his maternal grandfather, Whipple Van Buren Phillips. Lovecraft was close to his mother, aunts, and grandfather and wrote all throughout his adolescence. He was enamored with mythology, folklore, and science. He was also a staunch materialist, skeptic, and atheist, and perhaps, most famously, remarkably racist. I'm saying remarkably racist because Lovecraft was even considered notably racist at the time. He was literally so racist that we are obligated to remark upon it now in 2022. He was racist enough to where people remarked on it at the time. We have letters from other authors at the time writing to him, asking him to tone it down. Yeah. It was a problem. Yeah. It was not, he was not a product of his time. He was bad even at the time. Well, yeah, like that's the thing is like everybody talks about the racism, but it's primarily white people talking about the racism. And there's like this tide of, well, it was just the time. And no, he was extra racist, but it was like, no, he was also like, like he was racist for the time. But everybody else at the time who was also like that, like baseline racist were also shitty racist too. You can't just excuse the time because like you're, we're not defining the time by all these other racists. Like, no, because there were black people at the time too. And I promise you the racists were still racist, even if it was like something that people just sort of had to deal with. Like, nah, like I'm not going to apologize for that. That's, mm, you know. Yeah, we like... This part can be cut, but in in trying to find uh, specific examples, I just found a, a piece of poetry from him that was just on the creation of the N-word. 
didn't know that one existed before we started this. Okay. First of all, you say on the creation of the N-word. That sounds like it could be like a fun, linguistic, etymological situation. No, uh-uh. We all know better. That's one of those things where it's like, no, I knew that existed, but I'm also black and mixed race. And I'm like, oh, no, I, I had that one already. You know, I'm like, sure that's we already... talked about it at some point. It just slipped the mind. That's real easy. You know, like, it, it's hard. It's notably racist. That being said... He was, however, an enthusiastic collaborator with women. <laughs> you know, uh, so not an when, excuse, when, just an also this is weird. Yeah, I'm not saying it like makes up for it, but I am saying let's talk about the role of white women when it comes to establishing racist precedent. Oh, this giant racist. Now, he was still cool with the ladies. Nah, women, the women folk are fine. And some gay people. Oh, yeah, he was fine with gay people, but that's because he didn't quite understand what gay meant. He didn't see gay. <laughs> this is what it was. So he was, however, an enthusiastic collaborator with multiple women and was close friends with at least one openly homosexual writer. And we will touch on that relationship and his relationship with other like his collaborators and stuff in a future episode. Uh, Lovecraft was married to Sonia Green. They got married when he was around 34 years old. And for better or worse, she helped broaden his horizons by taking him and ultimately leaving him in New York City. Abandoning him in New York City. That's the thing. On the one hand, oh, H.P. Lovegrift, you know, like this, this giant racist married this Jewish woman. And it's like, hmm, you know, like, let's dig into that. And then she leaves him in New York when she goes back to, like, Ohio. Just abandons him in Red Hook. Yeah, and that's surprisingly or you know not is where he writes his like most racist stories the horror of red hook yeah like his most yeah my wife left me that's it it's a country song he got his suit stolen he got his apartment broken into and his suit stolen once and we got like four bad stories out of it it's fucked up yeah but so he stayed in new york until around 1926 when he returned to his hometown of providence rhode island he stayed in providence until he died from intestinal cancer on march 15 1937 scrub <laughs> Rip to Lovecraft, but I'm different. <laughs> I had cancer. I get to make that joke. I'm not talking about that. I was fine with that. No, I meant I meant for the audio recording. I need to say that one. <laughs> that, that sounds like a much meaner joke otherwise. A little bit, but what you gonna do? So we talked about who Lovecraft was, and we said he was a weird fiction writer, but what exactly is weird fiction? Because it's not the most common genre. It's not... You know, they don't have a label up for it at the Barnes and Noble, and it's not a genre on Netflix. Wish it was. Wish and it was. It's same. But and here's the thing. We've cut out many definitions here because the last time we tried to record this, it was about 45 minutes of us doing this fucking round robin of trying to find different authors throughout time. What did S.G. Josie say? What did China Miaville say? What did Jeff Vandermeer say? And the answer is, is that none of them had fucking shit for an answer for us. It, they all just gestured towards each other, which is fitting because that's sort of just what weird fiction is. If I was going to give my elevator pitch as to what weird fiction was, I would say it's a spooky story that doesn't have an ending <laughs> in the sense that like there is an ending. But the ending doesn't matter and you aren't privy to it. It's just some weird shit happens and then the story ends. But it's cool and you like it and you're not mad at it. 
So then he could say that Stephen King writes weird fiction because famously he has issues with his ending. Mm, I would say that that's the opposite because he explains the fuck out of it. That's the problem, I guess. If you take like the last 20 pages out of every Stephen King novel, then you get a weird fiction. Last third of the book. Yeah. You cut out 500 words before he mentions a giant turtle and you probably have a good weird fiction. But you say that, but like even Lovecraft mostly just ended his stories with like, ooh, lightning bolt. Ooh, it's italicized. That's the end. No, what does it mean? It doesn't matter. It's all in the implication. Yeah, it's all about it's all about implication. It's about vibes. It's about vibes, you know. I, on the other hand, as far as um, like my own working definition of weird fiction, I would just say, roughly speaking, weird fiction is writing that hints at something outside of our scope. I'd say it's a genre of scale and perspective and transitions. It leans into the liminal space and it's not so much about what you find out as much as it is how you find it out and the process of finding out and how learning impacts you as a person. It seems like a very internal uh, character driven genre in that way. I would agree with that. I feel like we need an example here. And and my go to is always the the quickest one. We'll have a full episode of it at some point, but the... I mean, we'll also have a full episode about the definition of weird fiction as well. Yeah, at some point in the future, we just need something kind of a baseline. One of my favorite stories is the music of Eric Zahn. There's a dude playing a violin or cello. It's up for debate. Doesn't matter. But he's playing a cello. Dude is like, hey, you're playing some weird music. What the fuck's up with that? And he's like, well, I'm German. And I can't speak English, so I'm just going to write it down for you in German, and then you can have it translated. And then a bunch of weird, spooky shit happens. The window opens up. There's a big monster. He plays to death. And all of the notes, the explanation, the rest of the story goes out the window. And then the end of the story, he just sort of shrugs and goes, "Ah, I can't find that apartment anymore. The end. And that's, yeah. And that's a weird fiction. But. The thing is, that sounds like it sucks. It actually rules. Yeah, like like you said, it's what you say. You said it was spooky, doesn't have an ending, but it's good. The key is is that there's there's a difference between a story that doesn't have an ending and a story where the, the you are not given the ending. I think that is very important in weird fiction. We had uh, like an art teacher in high school and when teaching us how to draw and stuff, he was like very much into like, don't do outlines, you know, use your eyes, look to see, you know, the shapes of things. Try to look to see what light is actually doing instead of ascribing your own idea of what the form is. And so when you were doing shapes and things like that, you'd be like, no, leave white space around that border. Your eye is drawn to that blank space. And I think that sums up how weird fiction really grabs readers very, very accurately because you're, you're drawn to those gaps in understanding where you know there's an answer even if you are unable to comprehend it. Your brain wants to pick at it. It's not mad. Yeah. Yeah, um, or like in uh, Fight Club where it's like, Marla Singer is that sore in my mouth, I can't stop tonguing, or whatever that line is. Like, no, it's like, it, it gets you. It gets you. Yeah. So what you're saying is, is that we did a better job describing it than S.T. Joshi. Yes. Cool. Right on track. Take that to the bank. Yup. Uh-huh. So Weird Fiction sort of kicked off late 1800s uh, through mid 19. 19- 
50s or whatever like I guess that's when you can say like that first wave of weird fiction really hit there are like other genres now like we have like new weird fiction with China Mieville I I don't know if he coined the term I don't think he did but I think he was also like no I don't write weird you know I'm cutting that bit we're not talking about that I was going to say, I'm like, oh, say, God, now we have to differentiate. <laughs> yeah, now, now we're getting into it. So weird fiction was primarily written in the late 1800s through like the mid 1900s. But there are earlier books and stories that definitely play in that space. And there are also new writers that are still writing weird fiction, even if um, the genre listed on those books or on Goodreads or whatever, even if it's not listed as weird fiction, it would absolutely fit into the weird fiction genre. We will include a link to some other weird fiction writers in the show notes. But what we'll say here is that H.P. Lovecraft wasn't the first to write weird fiction and is very far from being the last. But a few contemporary authors who frequently dip their proverbial toes into weird fiction include Caitlin R. Kiernan, Junji Ito, Poppy Z. Bright, slash Billy Martin, Stephen Graham Jones, China Mieville, Jeff Vandermeer, T. Kingfisher, Victor Laval, Sylvia Moreno-Garcia, Ruthanna Emrys, N.K. Jemison, Daniel Jose Older, Cassandra Kaw, and Premi Muhammad. In addition to these writers, some other behind-the-scenes people in publishing who have greatly contributed to weird fiction include Anne Vandermeer and Ellen Datlow, as well as the editors and staff at Subterranean Press, Tor.com, and Neon Hemlock Press. So now we need to talk about who the fuck we are, I guess. I guess. Do you want to start? Okay, when did you when did you start reading Lovecraft? Uh, in high school. Uh, so, like, I, I'm trying to think. I had, like, seen, like, a lot of references to Lovecraft. Like, I, obviously, I had seen, like, Evil Dead and stuff like that. I saw Reanimator. So, I had seen a lot of things that pulled from, like, Lovecraft canon or were, like, like reimaginings of Lovecraft stories, things like that. But the first Lovecraft story I picked up was Dagon because I'm like, no, I have to start at the beginning. So, I read Dagon because I also read that it was like a proto-Cthulhu story. And I'm like, well, I'm going to read the first one first. And so I just sort of picked up from there. I don't want to pick up the sequel. I might miss something. Well, you know. You know. I know. Well, okay. An example. I have a friend uh, and I tried uh, getting him to watch Blood Feast. And he said, oh, I already saw Blood Diner. No. I had a friend who I was like, hey, you want to watch Evil Dead? And she was like, no, I already saw Cabin in the Woods. It cannot be done. No, I'm not having it. So like I I was I was reading like early Lovecraft and I actually really enjoy his very bad writing. It's all adverbs. It's all like mushy, gushy, purple, prosy. I love it. It's Wade through it fiction, which is my favorite. Purplest of prose. We're going to get to the monster. But first, I need to talk to you for three pages about New England architecture. It's so purple that, you know, you could hardly call it purple. It's like a color out of space. Yeah, like I, I like any story that mentions gambled roofs. It is what it is. Well, with Lovecraft, you are not for want. <laughs> nope. But no, so I just I just really enjoyed his writing. But this was also around the time where I had very bad depression. And every Christmas, I would get an anthology, or I guess like a, a collection of uh, Edgar Allan Poe stories and books. And it's like, okay, well, now what? You know, like, I, I've exhausted <laughs> Poe. You know, I was also like reading a lot of beat poets and stuff. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm graduating to Lovecraft. So I enjoyed horror a lot, but a lot of horror was just gross. And it's not so much gore and body horror. I I love that. But the issue was uh, like really dehumanizing horror. And I know we talked about Lovecraft's racism and stuff. But if you take the racism out, most of the stories still stand. Most still stand. Um, 
<laughs> notable exceptions. Notable exceptions, yeah, of course. Sometimes, sometimes he throws racism around like it's a like a punchline, you know. But yeah, so that sort of lingering internalized horror, where the horror is very much the scope of what we don't know, really appealed to me. And I also very much enjoyed liminal spaces, even if I didn't quite have the language to explain that I enjoyed liminal spaces. Um, so, how'd you get into Lovecraft? We've been friends since high school, so I I, I read some of the stuff in high school but none of it really caught on for me until the uh hp lovecraft literary podcast with chad pfeiffer and chris lackey uh go check out their shit as well i would like to interrupt you real fast i want to interrupt you and just say that was my contribution to the friendship oh absolutely no doubt 100 thank you you started you started (laughs) me on that track it's very important to me i'm eternally dead blah 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 but thank you once I had that weekly series to kind of just keep me on track and, and keep me through it, I was in. And from there, I got really into the tabletop side, uh, especially the Chaosium D20 edition back from like 2002. Great book. Love it. So I will admit that I, I can get swept up into sort of treating weird fiction like Pokedex entries, um, which I, I don't recommend. The old rule is you don't stat Cthulhu. but um, what are you going to do? In a recent episode, um, they were talking about a Michael Shea story. I forget the name. We were listening to it in the car. And before they even got to the monster, they started describing just a little bit of it. And I realized I was like, oh, that's a Shawgoth Lord. Like, I know this one. I, I could remember the picture that was next to their fucking stat block. Never read the story. I knew the monster. I knew all the details of the monster and how it transformed and blah, blah, blah. That's not exactly the best way to go about it, but it's how my brain works. And from there, I read all of Lovecraft like three times. I got my beloved anthology that's that's all there. I feel like I was a little bit rambly on that, but... Rambly's good. I, I like rambly because it sounds a lot more organic than some of our other stuff. Like, we didn't talk about, like, our schooling and stuff, which I think is actually good and fine. Um, I don't think we have to give our like curriculum vitae for a podcast. Um, totally. The one thing I do think we need to talk about is who we are. Cause we didn't do, we skipped that at the start. Um, <laughs> so I am Jay. I go by they, them. Oh, is this my turn now? Yeah, I guess. Okay. I'm Banyan or fig. Uh, also a they, them. I guess I could have said we both go by they, them, but I didn't want to talk for you. Well, the thing is, is like, if you say we both go by they, them, you know, some of the cis people will be like, yes, of course you do. <laughs> yeah, two there's people. two. Of, yeah, there's two. Yeah, of, obviously. What else would we we do? all know. Yeah, exactly. Um, I I think I mentioned that I am mixed race and black. I am also a librarian, blah, 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 blah. You know, I'm just sort of queer and round and brown. I'm queer and also round. I don't. I don't know why we're bringing why why we decided to do that. But um, I uh, I'm just a college dropout. I've worked a bunch of jobs. I'm a baker right now. Yeah, but you, you get the whimsy points. Yeah, it's nice. It's yeah. it's it's nicer than saying I work in a call center. That sounds sad. Saying I work as a baker. That's fun. That's charming. That is charming. You're right. I agree. Ooh, you know what might be weird fiction. Pushing daisies. It's been a while since I watched that. Um, much to your chagrin, I know. I will I will trust your judgment on that one. Thank you. 
I don't know if they used Vaseline on the lens, but it's a show that feels like it's covered in Vaseline, which I think is a very weird fiction thing. Yeah, the slow, the show just sort of slips off the screen. Well, you know, there's the baker who, when he touches something that's dead, it just comes back to life. I forgot he was a baker, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's why I mentioned it. He bakes pies. That's why I started baking pies. To be fair, to be fair, to be you, bring up, you bring up Pushing da- Daisies a lot and unprompted, so... It's it was like a 50-50 shot whether there was any relevance to the conversation. Fair. Fair. As a couple of queer people in our 30s, why does talking about Lovecraft matter to us? And I know like I mentioned in sort of one of the reasons why I very much like weird fiction, it's that liminal space um that gives me some, sometimes just like room to exist even with some of their super racist stories or some of the homophobic stories and stuff. It's like no, but even if the authors or are like shitheads, it's like you don't understand the genre you're playing in because you're, the genre you're writing in is all about the blurring of these sort of definitions and boundaries and expectations. If a vast universe doesn't care about you, then that means we're all equal. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, and it's like, yes, I am mixed race and black and like Lovecraft is, like we said, very racist. I'm not an apologist, but I think there's definitely room to engage with that because if there wasn't, we wouldn't have so many great stories that bring Lovecraft into them that also engage with the racist aspects. Um, like Ruth Anna Emery's, uh, specifically, she wrote a book where the main characters are, uh, what race are they? Deep Ones, I believe. That's that's yeah. Winter's Tide, right? Yeah, so um, Winter Tide. Yeah, so they're Deep Ones. And in the story, they were also incarcerated with Japanese people and Japanese Americans in the internment camps. Which from Call of Cthulhu, that's referenced at the end, at the end of that story. They they are rounding up the deep ones that are still on land and like bombing their their ancestral homes under the water. Like I don't remember that at all. You remember a lot more from Lovecraft stories. Yeah, at the at the end of at the that's where we get the green field. What was the what was the 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 tabletop game that's like green something? Lovecraft green Delta Green. That's where we get the Delta Green system from, which I never fucked around with. I wasn't super into that, but that's that's where we get the sort of like X Files. Lovecraft shit is because mm, okay, yeah. Call of Cthulhu. Hi everyone, Editor Jay here. I meant to say the shadow over Innsmouth. Not sure why I kept calling it Call of Cthulhu here, but I am talking about the shadow over Innsmouth. The end of it, they go to the government and the government like starts fucking going into Innsmouth and fucking up everyone there. And there's like reports of submarines bombing the ocean floor. Yeah, you can very easily have a different author come in and go, no, we're going to explore that and talk about these peoples that the government fucked up because why would we trust them that they're the ones telling the truth? Right. And it's kind of funny because like in library world, DEI language and stuff, there's this idea of windows and mirrors. And the idea is you can give people windows to where they can see people who have different lived experiences from them, different identities from them. Or you can give them mirrors where they can see reflections of themselves and how both are important to make sure that, you know, you have diverse library collections, blah, 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 blah. But 
the thing is, is like when you have fiction, when you show a lot of these differing identities and things, you help build empathy. Yes, Lovecraft was extremely racist, but how many of the works based on Lovecraft or even some of Lovecraft's stories themselves where it's like you empathize with these monstrous characters and it's like, yeah, sometimes they are like legitimate non-human monsters and not just like, you know, racist tropes or whatever. The easy corollary to that is, you know what? who all the gays love? Disney villains. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very one-to-one on that one. Yeah, so, no, I just think, I I don't want to say Lovecraft matters, but Lovecraft matters to me, is what I'll say. I'll agree with that. I could say the works matter in the same way that, like, fucking, you know, people love Blood Meridian. Nobody gives shit to Proops about that. I was going to say, the only people who love Blood Meridian are Greg Proops and someone I worked with at another library. That's it. Those are the only people who say they love Blood Meridian. Everyone else is like, wait, what happens? <laughs> yeah, I guess. This is not the Anton Chigurh I remember. You know, like, no. Is that, I haven't, I'll be honest with you, I haven't read Blood Meridian. Is there, is Anton Chigurh in that book? I thought it was a submarine no. book. No, Blood Meridian is a story about, okay, it kind of reads like a Samuel uh, Delaney book where it's just like this kid who just goes around beating people up and like killing people and stuff like that. But it's another Cormac McCarthy book. I thought the Meridian was because of the ocean. Which meridian are they on? I don't know. I didn't read the it. Blood I started one. reading it. Well, here's the thing. I started reading the book. There might be a submarine. I started reading the book and I was like, this book is mean. And then I stopped reading it. Oh, I was like, no, uh-uh. This is not making me happy. I'll read a different book instead. Fair dues. All I've ever learned is from Greg Proops. Blood <laughs> his, his, his multiple rants about it. I mean... Same, but the thing is, is like I'm still wearing graphic tees and flannels, so like you know, Greg Proops has a lot of opinions about how millennials dress. I don't know if it's millennials. He he has a lot of opinions about how everyone dresses. Fair noted. Yes, uh, agree. That that is accurate. If we ever go to one of his shows, can we both wear cargo shorts? Oh my god, cargo shorts! We'll wear. Uh, not only will will we wear Burks, we'll wear Burks with socks, there graphic tees, flannels. Yeah, the works. That's what they mean when they say the works. Yeah. We'll also wear uh, Down with Hillary shirts. <laughs> yep. You got it. Check this email, Greg Proops. Ooh. Raspberry Dawn these nuts. <laughs> Actually, it's kind of funny. I um, I think that author's last name is Schiff. S-C-H-I-F-F. Her writing is also that very wade through it kind of language that I like a lot. And also why Greg Proops likes it so much is because it's like, mmm, it's so like luscious and silky, this language, bleh. I think her name might be Stacy Schiff. Let me check real fast, because I want to know. I don't know if we're keeping this in, but I want to check. I, I I kind of want to just because I was very happy with Raspberry yes. Dawn these nuts. <laughs> yes, I really want you to. Yes, it is Stacy Schiff. Um, okay. I'm very pleased that I remember that off the top of the dome. I said why I think doing this podcast matters to us. I don't know if you had much you wanted to add to that. Uh, no, you know, I could make a goof about like, this is excising the guilt of, of being my favorite author. Because you know what's a lot easier if you say, if you say Lovecraft is your favorite author, you say Lovecraft is my favorite author. And I also have a podcast that just rips on him on the fucking daily. That's actually fair. Um, well, because I remember a friend... Like, I love H.P. Lovecraft, right? And I, I say that very flippantly. 
But like most of my friends don't read. So when I say I love an author or whatever, I'm not prepared for them to call me on my shit. But no, I said I loved Lovecraft and a, a white friend of mine said, oh, so you're a racist apologist. And I was like, my dude, uh-uh. I've done a lot of work to deal with my internalized racism and I'm doing a lot better now and I'm not apologizing for it or making excuses for it. I am just trying to engage with it in a way that I can still consume the media and not want to die. You, you know what? Uh, almost everything written, like I'll say pre-1985, will shit on one aspect of my identity or another. You pick and choose your battles. I'll be honest with you. I, I, I've never been confronted with someone when I tell them that I like Lovecraft, mostly because 95% of people still, even though he's he's had a renaissance and is much more popular these days, but like a lot of people don't know him. And if you say your favorite author is like, yeah, he wrote weird fiction, a genre most people don't know, and he wrote short stories a hundred years ago, most people just go, <laughs> most people just go, ah, cool. And then Go, what did he write? You go, oh, the big green, the big green man, you know, the, the the face tentacles. And they go, right, from Pirates of the Caribbean. And you go, exactly. And then the conversation ends. Well, you say that, but like people know Cthulhu. They just don't know where he came from. People treat Cthulhu the way they treat Sanrio characters. Where it's just like yeah. this, this sort of like weird, I don't want to say weird. It's Cthulhu, Hello Kitty, Mothman. He's just like a, like a character or a... um. What's the word I want? Mascot? Mascot. Yeah, he's more like a mascot than anything else. He's like the goth mascot. Yeah, but I, I've been confronted about the Lovecraft thing actively, like in person twice, both by white men. The first time was the racist apologist one. The second one was much more mild. And it was just a friend saying, oh, yeah, I used to read Lovecraft, but I grew out of that. And that's not being confronted, but I took it very personally. You know, that's the other, that's the other thing like, that was weird to me, because um, like so I got into Lovecraft as an adult. And one of the weird things that comes up, um, especially on like the HP Lovecraft podcast and um, like Patton Oswalt has talked about it, too, on his own, where he talks about how everybody likes HP Lovecraft when they're in like middle school and then they grow out of it. I could not understand that. I didn't read fiction until high school. Yeah, but you're you're a weirdo I, I in that regard. <laughs> um, but but like even then, it's like no, no middle school me is not gonna fucking wade through all those gamble roofs and shit to get to a monster. Are you fucking kidding me? No. Yeah, especially when you consider how little the monster is actually there. Like that payoff is not. If that's what you're into it for, then that is not going to pay off for you. Even as like a young kid, it's like I'm like I don't see how that was anyone's foray into horror i guess if you were that sounds cool but like nah i had <laughs> we're coming at this from a different direction i don't know there there's always more for me like when i whenever i reread something like there's always more and i have been actively trying to read some of the older proto weird stuff some of lovecraft's influences but also trying to prioritize like people of color and queer people and their sort of take on weird fiction uh, do we want to do, was there anything else that we needed or do you want to just go into the outro part? Um, I wasn't sure if you wanted to, if there was a way you could try tying it all together. God, fuck if I, no, we, that was disjointed. Well, it wasn't bad though. No. Just, just, just the last bit. Yeah. I, I like that we got a little rambly. 
So as we will probably refrain many a times, also go check out the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast with Chad Pfeiffer and Chris Lackey. They are on Witch House Media on Patreon. They did the entire run of Lovecraft stories front to back. That's all still free. Then they transitioned into moving on to just general weird fiction stories, which will, you know, fingers crossed, we'll get there in due time. And that's all on Patreon, but they still have a bunch of free content out. We must credit the giants on which shoulders we stand. So I saw recently that like one of their earliest episodes was from like literally 12 years ago. And I was like, oh, my God, this has consumed my life for more than a decade. Yeah, it's been a grip. So how is this podcast going to work? Uh, perhaps not surprisingly, very similar to the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. We 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 stole a lot of the bones. Or we call us an old Tumblr blog. Um, <laughs> here's how it's going to work: is that uh, we are going to aim to release every other week. It's going to be one story per episode. Um, we might sprinkle in extra episodes where we do deeper dives into specific topics, like. Lovecraft's life in more in further detail or other authors thoughts on weird fiction etc etc um maybe get to his juvenilia at some point that might be cool it's going to be a lot more loose we're just going to kind of read through the story and riff on it and just talk about our feelings on each each story just kind of have fun with it okay and that's not exactly how we differ from podcraft what we lovingly refer to as podcraft because they obviously had a lot of fun, too. We're just coming at it from a very different perspective. I'll say probably somewhat different worldviews. You know, I know at least I am a person of color, and I think that greatly changes the sort of uh, level of animosity, you know, <laughs> our uh, our podcast will have. Yeah, absolutely. Podcraft is good, but, you know, two straight says white man. They miss some stuff. We'll 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 cover it from from where we're coming from. It's not a fan podcast, but it is a fan podcast. You know, like to, to podcraft or to Lovecraft. Ours, 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 ours. Right, but to <laughs> a fan of what? Fan to who? Fan to podcraft? Because well, yeah, because I'm like, well, it's not a fan podcast where we're going through each one of their episodes, but it is a podcast of two fans of theirs. Yeah. Yeah. And I want to, like, you know, drop a link and all of their stuff on show notes. Because it's like, no, you know, like, we, we want to give them their dues. Okay, I got nothing else. I think that's good. We can always, we can always, um, I can always edit around that or do whatever we need when, I, when I'm, I'm looking at it tomorrow. Whatever, just cut, cut, cut the bad ramblies. The bad ramblies. The good ramblies are fine. Okay. So I think that'll about do it for us here for this introductory episode. I am not sure when we decided to drop all future releases. If we want to continue on Tuesdays, we just sort of had to for the anniversary of the man's death. I will say that we will be back on the week of the 28th for Dagon, the tomb. Is it the tomb? Yes. The tomb. Then Dagon's next. Um, But we will be back on the week of the 28th with the tomb. I am Jay. And I am Banyan. And we don't have an outro slogan. So what do we say every episode? Bye. Not today, death. (laughs) See you on the flip side. Yeah.
Unrequited Lovecraft is a Queer Cryptids production. Find more of our work at QueerCryptids.com. Follow us on Twitter at Queer underscore Cryptids and at Unlovecraft. For us individually at J. Beckus and at Banyan White. We are also on Patreon at Patreon.com slash Queer Cryptids. Thank you to Maisie Caves for our intro and outro music. And remember, stories can be mirrors or windows. Just be careful of the ones that are doorways. Goodbye.